A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co/insomnia. See if any of these following sounds familiar to you: snoring at night. Use restroom a lot at night. Morning headache. Snore at night. Stop breathing at night. Feel really sleepy during daytime, no matter how much sleep you got last night. If you have any of these or several of these symptoms, maybe you are not breathing appropriately when you sleep at night. Do you know actually dentists can help you with these kind of concerns? Today we have Dr. Kent Smith from Dallas, Texas. He's the founder of the sleep center called Sleep Dallas, and himself is double board certified in dental sleep medicine. He will help us understand what are some warning signs of sleep apnea, and what are some common treatment for it. Especially if we cannot tolerate CPAP, what another option dentist can really help you with it? Welcome to Deep Into Sleep. I'm your host Ishan. Let's welcome Dr. Smith. Hello, Dr. Smith. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep. Thank you. It's good to be here. So I'm very happy to know you work in the sleep medicine field,、uh, and your specialty is dental health、uh, as a dentist, right? Right. Yeah, it's called dental sleep medicine, and we get involved because、um, you know we're in the in the mouth all day long, and、uh, primarily the biggest problem is the tongue and the stuff behind the tongue. That's what shuts off the airway. So we have a really good chance to see problems back there, and and that's what I preach on all the time. I, I teach a lot of dentists, and I try to get them to start paying attention to the airway. Wow! So our airway, I know,、um, especially for certain population like Asians, there are higher chance of developing sleep apnea. And I heard there's some something about our airway is narrower. Or the position of it is different. Yeah, I think um, facially um, is is part of the reason. There's a little bit different shape, but also yes, the the size of the neck has a lot to do with it. But I mean, it's it's a greater percentage, but it's not dramatically more than the American population.、Hmm. Yeah. So actually, it's I don't hear this. Word dental sleep medicine a lot, so that's really fascinating to know. Actually, sleep disorders, sleep related health, have something to do with our dental,、uh, our teeth, and the dentist can really help us with it. Yeah, well, the reason why we got involved, and I've been in this field about twenty five years, and we got involved because,、uh, well, let me just point this out. There was a recent survey. And physicians ask about smoking, and they counsel their patients on smoking a hundred percent of the time. They counsel their patients on diet ninety-three percent of the time. They counsel their patients on sleep forty-three percent of the time. So physicians are not, on the whole, doing a good job 
of asking questions and counseling patients about how important sleep is. We see patients every six months, usually for cleanings. We have a great opportunity to ask our patients how they're sleeping. We have them in the chair about an hour a time. And uh, physicians typically see patients for maybe five minutes. And so we've got the time, we're looking at the, the right spot for an airway problem. And not only that, we can actually treat these patients as well. CPAP is the primary method for treating obstructive sleep apnea. However, only 50% of the population can tolerate a CPAP machine. Every study that's been done is somewhere around 50% tolerance. So what happens to the 50% of people that can't wear CPAP? That's where we become involved because we can keep the airway open with an oral appliance. It attaches to the teeth and holds the jaw, sometimes brings the jaw forward a little bit. The tongue is attached to the jaw. So as the jaw comes forward, it drags the tongue forward and it opens up the airway. Many people have already figured this out. They're lying in bed and their jaw drops back and they realize they can't sleep on their back because this is a gravity problem. This collapses against the back of their throat, and they know they need to kind of turn on their side or even sleep on their stomach to keep their airway from collapsing. So it makes sense if we can create an anti-gravity appliance. It just, it keeps the lower jaw from collapsing during sleep. So it's, it's interesting, we're dentists, but we're treating a medical condition which is kind of interesting. It's not what dentists are used to doing. It's not what they were taught in dental school. Uh, I haven't actually done any dentistry in many years. I haven't worked on teeth in a long time because this problem is so prevalent. About two-thirds of the world snores. Two-thirds is a wow. lot. Yeah. So not that many have sleep apnea, but maybe 18 to 20% have sleep-disordered breathing. So about one out of every five patients that we see or people that are walking along the street are not breathing well during their sleep. So I think we have a very important part to play in treating sleep disorders. And that's what I've been preaching for a long time. I started teaching dentists about 15 years ago. And it's really strange, about 85% of patients that have sleep apnea are undiagnosed. They have no clue that they have it. 30 years ago, there was a study. It was 85% undiagnosed 30 years ago. It's still 85% undiagnosed. So somebody has to take the helm here and start to figure out who these patients are. And I don't know any better profession than the dentist because, again, we're looking back there and we see the closed airway. Wow. Amazing data. Actually, I'm not aware the rate is so high for people who have sleep apnea and got undiagnosed. And my personal experience, similarly, after I learned this, I started no noticing this. I asked around. I noticed a lot of people never heard about it. And they can snore like like thunderstorm at night, but <laughs> they don't think there's a problem with it. No, they think it's funny. I mean, it's been in cartoons for years. It's, it's been a funny thing. But try talking to the wife of somebody who keeps her awake all night long 
and it creates marital disharmony, and they, they start sleeping separately. We know from research that if people sleep together, they live longer. And so it doesn't make sense to sleep apart. They think sleeping apart in another room solves the problem. It does not solve the problem. We'll have the untreated sleep apnea patient. Now, not every snorer has sleep apnea, but that's why we do sleep studies on patients just to see. Uh, We see people with severe sleep apnea. They stop breathing 70 times every hour, and yet they still don't know they have a problem. Wow. So now I have the question. A lot of audience may start thinking, how do they know they need to seek some professional evaluation or even treatment for this? What kind of symptoms they need to pay attention to or what kind of question you train dentists to ask? Well, the bed partner is the first one. Now, many people don't have bed partners, but but most of the patients that I see I would say two-thirds of the patients that I see, it's the bed partner that drives them into the office. They say, I see you stop breathing. I'm worried you're never going to wake up again. They nudge them. There's, there's something called the elbow diagnosis research that was done. And if you've been elbowed for gasping, there's a 95% chance you have sleep apnea. So the bed partner is certainly one of them. But we see so many signs and symptoms. Excessive daytime sleepiness is really one of the main reasons that I do this because we have a lot of sleepy drivers out there. There are a lot of deaths every year that are caused by people falling asleep at the wheel and they have undiagnosed sleep apnea. So excessive sleepiness, it could be acid reflux. That's a common symptom or side effect. We see nocturia, which is frequent nighttime urination, people that get up to use the restroom. We call one time a night to be normal, more than one time a night to use the restroom. That's, there's something going on wrong. In women, it could be hormonal or sleep apnea. In men, it could be prostate or sleep apnea, but it is certainly a very common problem. Uh, You also, people end up with a dry throat in the morning, Um, very dry. That's a very common symptom as well. Uh, Hypertension. We know that the top five comorbidities as a result of sleep apnea are related to the heart. The top five. So anything to do with the heart, whether it's cardiovascular disease or high blood pressure, we've got to start asking some questions. In fact, there is a study that showed if, if a male has uncontrolled hypertension, if it's difficult to control, if he has to take one, two, three medications to control it, 96% of the time he has severe sleep apnea. So hypertension is certainly one of them. I mean, diabetes is a result of it. Now, that's not something that you might know right off that you have. But those are the most common things. There are a lot of other things. but. I think people should listen to their bed partner for one thing, because many times they don't believe them. Because only one person in six have ever heard themselves snore. You kind of think your bed partner's not telling you the truth. Well, we find a lot of times they come in with recordings. I had a patient came in this week and he said, my wife told me if I don't play this for you, she's not going to let me come back home. (laughs) Play a recording of himself snoring and gasping. Hmm. 
Wow, these are great. I think very simple signals people can pay attention to. I especially love the elbow. <laughs> so, It's called、uh, the elbow diagnosis. Yeah. Elbow diagnosis, love、yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I do sometimes ask people whether they snore at night. I definitely get some people they have no idea. They said they have to ask their bed partner if they never heard that feedback from their bed partner. They have no idea whether they they do it or not. Right now, the bed partner is a a fairly poor diagnostician of their bed partner.、Um, most of the time, they do know that at least they snore. And they may gasp every once in a while, but they have no idea if their bed partner stops breathing forty times an hour. They just don't know that. So that's why sleep studies are important. You know, one thing I didn't mention: headaches are very common. Headaches for two reasons. If you wake up with a morning headache, you should never wake up with a morning headache. You should wake up after you've had a, a good night of rest and recuperation. You've got a lot of good deep sleep. You wake up with energy, and you don't even need an alarm clock. If you wake up with a headache, there's one of two things going on: either you don't have enough oxygen in your brain, your apnea is causing you not to get enough oxygen, so your heart has to race faster to provide more blood, which then supplies oxygen for you because your organs need oxygen. But that lack of oxygen during the night creates headaches. And then, if you have sleep apnea, you're more likely to clench your teeth or to grind your teeth. This is another thing that I talk to dentists about checking. They can see if a patient clenches or grinds. That could be a sign. And if you clench your teeth, you're more likely to have a headache as well. Hmm. So those are the two really good signs people can. Ask themselves, and dentists actually can also ask to, and even see when they check the teeth. Right? It's、oh, yeah. possibly very obvious. Right. Right. Yeah. And and a lot of times dentists don't. They most dentists don't know to check for these things. So what they'll do is they'll just prescribe a bite guard for patients to protect the teeth, not knowing that a bite guard sometimes can help close the airway a little bit more. So again. Trying to teach as many dentists as we can the signs and symptoms to look for. The health history tells us a lot. Every doctor should look at that health history. If they're taking something for impotence, we know that the sleep apneic male is more likely to be impotent. So if they're taking medications for that, if they're taking medications for acid reflux, if they're taking antihypertensives, there's a lot of things in that health history that should cause any doctor to say. Hey, how are you sleeping? Something doesn't look right here. I totally agree. Feels like we really want the field to have more and more education about sleep.、Yes. Before I entered this field, I did not even know actually psychologists can also ask a lot of questions very similarly because we have a lot of time with our patients and we could just easily ask them、uh, all these signals you talk about if they are aware of anything, especially the morning headache. A lot of people would have a impression of that. They would remember that. They would complain about that. They think it's either insomnia or anxiety or stress or other things. Yeah, sure. And and depression. I mean, sleep apnea actually lowers the bar for depression, so it's easier to get depressed if you have sleep apnea.、Um, anxiety is a very common problem with sleep apnea, and insomnia. I'm glad you mentioned that because. 
most insomnia episodes, when you're talking about sleep maintenance insomnia, sleep maintenance insomnia, most of those episodes have to do with a sleep disordered problem, a breathing disorder problem. So it, there's a very heavy connection between insomnia and sleep apnea. And I think anybody that treats insomnia, especially if they prescribe a sedative for, for insomnia, they need to make sure that patient is breathing because a sedative is going to also sedate the respiratory muscles, which will make the apnea worse. Mm. Yeah. I had, in fact, I had a patient today whose doctor said, I'm not going to prescribe you another sedative for your insomnia until you get a sleep test. So that physician knew what he was doing and made sure that the patient, but most physicians don't. They prescribe all kinds of medications. 60 million prescriptions a year for sleep problems. And I guarantee you all 60 million of those were not given sleep studies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So if you have a lot of these symptoms, if a doctor, either dentist, uh, other providers identify this or your bad partner suspect of this, may be considering consult with a doctor and see whether you need a sleep study. Sure, yeah. And I think the easiest thing to ask is, do you snore or have you had someone tell you that you snore? Most men, if you ask them if they snore, they'll say no. Men don't like to go to the doctor anyway. But if you ask their bed partner, they will tell you. So what you have to ask a male most of the time is, have you ever snored? Do you snore? Or do you, have you ever been told that you snore? And then he can't lie. Great questions. So other than CPAP, I know CPAP, once you go to the sleep study, you get diagnosed of sleep apnea, uh, for example, a lot of time we know, oh, CPAP machine can be really helpful. You just mentioned this dental, dental appliance to really be helpful. So can you tell, tell us more about that? Sure. Yeah. And CPAP is a great modality. It's very important. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to have sleep studies because they think they're going to have to wear a CPAP. And that really bothers them because their, their grandmother wore one and it was scary or it's not very sexy or they, they look like Darth Vader or they have claustrophobia and they can't imagine putting something on their face. There's all kinds of reasons why people would not want to wear a CPAP. It's great, and it should be the first line of therapy, especially for severe apnea. But unfortunately, many people aren't aware that there are dental devices or appliances that can be used. Now, these have been around for many, many, many years. This isn't something brand new. Like I said, I've been making these for 25 years. And fortunately, we're getting a little bit more traction. I have a lot of physicians that refer me patients. I'm in the Dallas area, so a lot of the Dallas physicians are very aware of this and aware that dentists can play a part in this. So I tell my patients there's three ways to treat it. You can treat it with a CPAP machine, you can treat it with a dental device, or you can treat it with surgery. Now, surgery should be the last resort because it's not very comfortable. It's not as effective as either CPAP or a dental device. Insurance usually doesn't do a good job of covering it, and it's irreversible. Once you've cut something off, it's gone. So it's usually CPAP or oral device first. Now, with the oral appliances, 
there are certain stipulations for making sure that they are effective. That first of all, they have to be FDA cleared. They are covered by medical insurance. So a lot of people think, even physicians think that medical insurance doesn't cover them. Well, they do. Um, they need to be adjustable so that the patient can adjust them. So we tell our patients, start wearing the appliance. If your bed partner tells you you're still snoring, adjust it a little bit further out, a little bit further out. So we don't want to cause any pain. We don't want to have any reason for the patient not to wear one. So they've come a long way in the last 25 years. Now they've gotten smaller and smaller. Uh, these appliances are now built by computers. They used to be made by hand. They're made by 3D imaging. So they're very small and discreet. They're much easier to wear. Compared to a CPAP, you know, traveling with a, something that just fits in your mouth compared to traveling with a CPAP, a lot of people travel. Maybe it's not so much with COVID, but a lot of people travel and they don't like taking that CPAP places. They're in the security line and they've got to take it out of their bag and make sure that everyone sees this isn't a bomb. This is just my CPAP machine. And, you know, as I said, it's not as sexy. There's a lot of reasons why people don't want to wear a CPAP machine. And if they just knew these oral devices were available, I think that they would much more likely want to at least try one of these and see how well they work. Sounds really appealing. Um, I know my family members, they hate using CPAP machine. I have an extremely difficult time to convince them. Uh, so I want to know for this dental device, what kind of patients should consider that? Is that works for all sleep breathing disorders? Uh, no, it, it doesn't work with central sleep apnea, centrally mediated sleep apnea, where the brain's respiratory center doesn't send a signal to breathe. It, we're not wearing an oral device doesn't make them want to start breathing. So for central apnea, no. If it's a patient that is successfully wearing CPAP, I don't want them to get off of CPAP and start wearing a device. They're using a successful therapy. You know, if the people are compliant with CPAP, I don't want them trying oral devices if they love their CPAP. Some patients don't have enough teeth to hold an appliance in their mouth. Some people might have a severe gag reflex. They can't even brush their teeth without gagging. So there are some people that it wouldn't work well with. And the more severe the apnea, the less likely an oral appliance will work. So if you have really severe apnea, then you should be trying a CPAP first. Now, having said that, if you can't wear a CPAP or you're refusing to wear a CPAP, an oral device is the next thing you should try. And only after that, if you can't wear an oral device, then it's to surgery. But this is a life-threatening condition. People die all the time because they don't have apnea treated. And so it's not something that should be ignored. I have patients now that they can't go a night. And they will tell you they will not go a night without their CPAP machine or without their oral device. Once you started getting this treated, you realize how much more energy you have and how much better sleep you have and how much more energy you have the next day. You don't want to ever be without therapy. So it's something that people, you don't even know how your, your energy has decreased over the years. A lot of older adults you know, they just think this is the new normal. This is how they su are supposed to feel. But in actuality, you shouldn't have to take a nap every day. You shouldn't wake up with headaches. You shouldn't go to the restroom four times a night. 
all of this stuff is not normal. Yeah, exactly. I know after using CPAP, a lot of people definitely say they don't get up to use the restroom as much and definitely feel a lot better. And uh, sounds like the dental device is quite good next step option if people just cannot tolerate CPAP. And how effective is this? What are some data for, for the dental device? Right. So the data says that with mild and moderate sleep apnea, oral appliances are just as effective as CPAP machines. Once it's titrated objectively, once you've uh, uh, you know, adjusted the appliance out to maximum clinical effectiveness. So mild and moderate. When it gets to be severe, they're not as predictable as CPAP is. So what the American Academy of Sleep Medicine has said is that for mild and moderate patients, you can choose either a CPAP or an oral device, and they will be equally as effective. If you're severe, you should try CPAP first. If you can't wear a CPAP, then try an oral device. Hmm. For this kind of oral device, is that something you can get from any dentist or has to go to a specialized uh, dentist uh, like in the sleep medicine field? Yeah. I mean, you're going to get more comprehensive care and probably better care if you go to somebody that specializes in this because they do it all the time. They know how to build medical insurance for the patient. Um, most dentists, um, they don't know all the, the different types of appliances. We make six or seven different ones in our office. And so it's not one appliance works for every patient. You have to, it, it's patient dependent. So You've got to learn those things. You've got to be able to enumerate all the potential side effects for patients to make sure that they look for and make sure they let you know if they develop any of these things. We have to know how to prevent TMJ problems with these appliances, uh, what kind of appliances to use that won't hurt teeth, that won't pull crowns off of teeth and things like that. So there is a lot that goes into this that would say it's better to go to somebody that does this a lot. Having said that, it's just an oral device. It's not difficult to make one, and most dentists can make one. It's just, it's a little bit unpredictable whether they're going to know what to look for and they're going to make you the right kind of appliance and that they can make the cost as small as possible for patients. Most patients don't want to pay a lot. So dentists that don't know how to work with medical insurance they're going to have a difficult time making it inexpensive for their patients. Right. Sounds like not just about making the device itself. It's about a lot of care, coordination around it. The knowledge behind it really important for people to get a high quality of care in the sleep field. Yes. And, you know, if somebody is looking for a dentist, you know, going to a website that, that, you know, the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine has a website that lists all of the diplomats who have had a lot of work with this. And so that would be a good way to look for a dentist that does it. But yeah, we've, we, you know, we're taught and we've learned over the many years that we need to follow patients up. We make follow-up appointments. We keep following them along. And again, most dentists, if they don't know much about this, they'll make them an appliance and they won't even do a follow-up study to make sure controlling their sleep apnea, because there's a condition called silent apnea. Stop snoring and still have sleep apnea. So that's why following somebody up with a study is extremely important. And these are just, 
just a, a few things that make you think, oh gosh, maybe you should go to somebody that's got a little bit more training in this and not just a dentist that, uh, I had a patient today, as a matter of fact, that they said, the, the appliance that they showed me, they said, well, the dentist gave this to me for free because it was his first one and he wanted to test it out on me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, and he ended up spitting that one out. And anyway, most dentists can make something that fits over the teeth. Most dentists know about teeth. They know about TMJ. You know, it's, they just need a little bit more training. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Nothing can replace the experience, more knowledge about that. And patients definitely will feel more secure, better taken care of. Uh, if someone really know what they are doing and know inside out of sleep knowledge. And you mentioned TMG. I'm curious. So if someone already have TMG, can they still use the device? They just possibly need to consult with the dentist to understand more what kind of device works for them? Yeah, that's, that's another reason why it's, it's important to be able to make different types of appliances. For a TMJ patient, I'll make a different kind of appliance, one that titrates very slowly. We start them out in a comfortable position. But research is pretty clear. TMJ problems actually get better wearing one of these devices over a period of about four years. So it's not that we can't or shouldn't treat somebody with TMJ. We just need to know exactly what to look for, what kind of appliance to make, and what instructions to give to the patient. How long a person would expect to have this device on? I know CPAP is like kind of like a forever thing. You're going to keep on using it because it's not something you can totally cure for the breathing, sleep breathing difficulties. With the, uh, the oral device, is that something you can just wear for a while and then take it off? No, unfortunately, it is just like CPAP. It just holds your airway open while you're asleep. It doesn't cure it. Just like wearing glasses, if you have poor eyesight, it's not going to fix your eyes. It just lets you see while you are wearing your glasses. This is the same thing. Now, having said that, if it actually changes the position of your jaw, we give patients exercises every morning to get their bite back to normal home position. Oh. You don't do the exercises, your bite can change and your lower jaw can come forward permanently. That's another thing that dentists don't know to look for and don't know to warn their patients about. Oh. They don't know to give them the exercises to do in the morning. Now, most people, that doesn't happen. It, it's pretty unusual for the bite to change like that, but it can happen especially if a dentist doesn't babysit their patient and make sure that they're using the right exercises. Right. So normally, if we have an oral device like that, how often it's recommended for people to follow up with their dentist? That's going to be different with every dentist that does this. Again, I've been doing it 25 years. There's a lot of dentists that have been doing it 20, 25 years. And if you ask 10 of us, we'll have different follow-up <laughs> <laughs> there's not really a set. I mean, ideally, they should come back in in a week and then a month and then three months, six months, and then yearly after that. That's what the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine and the American Sleep and Breathing Academy both recommend as follow-up protocols. You won't find everybody following that protocol, but that's what should happen. So that's quite a bit of follow-up within that first year. Right, which I think totally important to monitor how the device is doing, how the breathing is going, right? 
Yeah, so um, I don't know whether across United States, the price without insurance are similarly or from state to state, having this kind of device made and uh, uh, tailored to the patient can be quite like expensive. Yeah, and it's going to vary even within the same city. But yes, different country, there are going to be different fees and, and, and rural versus big cities. And I would say you're going to, you know, up in New York, they may charge 6500 for one. It's going to range probably between like 12 1500 on the low end up to about 6500 And in our office, we charge 1795 So that's, that's the cash price. Uh, I think you're normally going to find a cash price higher than that. It probably averages from 2500 to 3000 But a lot of people can't afford that. They don't want to pay that. And that's why working with medical insurance to minimize the cost for patients is important. And most dentists are not comfortable working with medical insurance. They work with dental insurance all the time. Oh. How to work with medical. It's a completely different beast. Oh, this is a very important point, actually. When you mentioned that earlier, I did not realize. So medical insurance covers this. Yes. Not dental insurance. Not dental insurance, because it's a medical problem. And so that's why we always work with sleep physicians. Sleep dentists don't work on, a, on an island. We work with sleep physicians because we have to get a prescription for an oral device from a sleep physician in order to make it. It's just like somebody that provides crutches or a wheelchair or something. They have to get a prescription to provide that durable medical piece of equipment. No different. It needs a prescription. So we have to work with the medical community because it's a medical problem. Dental insurance doesn't cover this at all. Wow. This is very great to know. I think this is great news for a lot of people because I not I know a lot of people do have medical insurance, but not everyone buy dental insurance every year. Right, right. And I but honestly, most physicians don't even know that medical insurance covers these appliances. So that's why a lot of them they they know CPAP is covered by medical insurance, but they don't know these are covered. So they just put everybody on CPAP and don't think to, hey, there's another therapy out there that's possible if you don't like your CPAP. Hmm. I also, I, I heard a myth before. I want to double check with you since you're the expert in this field. So some people talk about if you do the invisible line or, you know, those kind of teeth corrections, either when you are young or a little older, just for to make it look better, right? But some people say that can help with sleep apnea or sleep breathing difficulties also. Is that true? If you straighten the teeth? Uh, it's, it's a very minimal amount. We know that the tongue is largely the problem. And when you have a three-car tongue in a two-car garage, it doesn't fit properly. The tongue is too big for the oral cavity. So if in straightening the teeth, you enlarge the oral cavity and give more room for the tongue, then yes, it can aid in sleep-disordered breathing. But again, it's not going to help tremendously. It helps a little. Oh, okay. That's great to know. So just by doing that like teeth aligning for beauty reasons may not be enough to help with this sleep breathing 
issues. Oh, right, right. I, I don't think most of the time you're not going to get much help, and it's certainly not going to stop somebody from snoring. There are some techniques out there for enlarging the oral cavity. And the, the, the theory is if you enlarge the oral cavity, sleep apnea goes away. Unfortunately, that's not what happens. When you lay down on your back, especially, again, especially in REM sleep when you're paralyzed, your tongue just falls back in the back of the airway, shuts it off, and it doesn't matter how enlarged the oral cavity is, you're still going to stop breathing. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So you do this a lot in your practice. Is your practice mostly just to do this, uh, produce this device right now? Yes. I mean, we oh. do CPAPs in our office as well. Oh. And I have a sleep physician that works for me, and she's there to help provide CPAP and, and help with insomnia and narcolepsy and exploding head syndrome and all of these sleep problems that are out there. We're kind of a one-stop shop, but my specialty is the oral device. Yes, that's what I do. I don't do any dentistry, like I said. I haven't filled a tooth or done a crown or a root canal in many, many years. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Sounds like uh, your center is quite a sleep center with like really meet all the sleep disorders, diagnose, assessment, and treatment needs, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I... I, because I've always been frustrated with my ability to only do oral appliances. So I've always tried to find other ways to help patients. Sometimes we fix their apnea and yet they're still fatigued. They're still sleepy. There's other stuff going on. So we do a lot of counseling and sleep hygiene. And, and I know you've had discussions before about that on these. Uh-huh. I don't need to get into any of that. But we certainly get involved in everything we can do to help people sleep better. It's, it's just, sleep is so important. We spend a third of our lives doing it. Sleep helps us remember. It helps us forget. There's a lot of good things that happen when you get good sleep, but we don't pay enough attention to it. We don't put it in our, on our to-do list. We think we can cheat the night and we just can't. It's so much more important. I think, you know, we used to say that sleep is a third pillar of health. There's diet, exercise, and sleep. But I really think sleep is more important than diet and exercise because it will help you have a better diet. It will help you feel like exercising. It's just extremely important. And we don't put enough emphasis on it. Just like I said, physicians, only 43% of them counsel their patients on sleep. That's really sad. Sleep is vital to health. Wow. I really love that. The three-pillar theory, I definitely heard about that. That's what I tell my patients also. But I so love you mentioned you think sleep is a priority. And it's the one, unfortunately, most people let it go first. Yeah. <laughs> if I have work, I'm busy. Well, sleep is the first to go. I, I can stay up late. I can try hard. Work is more important. Life is more important. Yeah, but what's, what's easier to do? Sleep? Go on a diet or exercise. What's the easiest thing to do? Right. So fix that pillar of health first, and the other things will be easier to solve. I promise you. Love that. Love that. Yeah. So um, near the end of the show, is there any final wisdom you want to tell out the audience? Let everyone know. 
Well, I think, I mean, I'd probably have two things. First of all, with, with COVID going on now and flu season coming up, at least the time we're recording this, we know that it, the lack of sleep, you have a problem creating an immune response with flu shots. There's research to show lack of sleep decreases your immune response with flu shots, with hepatitis A vaccines. And I suspect when that COVID vaccine comes out later this year or next year, I think if you've got better sleep, you're going to become better immune to the coronavirus. So I think that's something everybody should be paying attention to. And finally, if you don't think sleep is important, daylight savings time alone should tell you more than anything because when we lose an hour in March, that next day we see a spike in heart attacks. In fact, there's a 24% increase in cardiovascular problems and heart attacks after daylight savings time in March. And when we fall back in the fall, there's a 21% drop. So is sleep important for your heart? Yes. If you lose an hour of sleep, you're more likely to have a heart attack. If you gain an hour of sleep, you're less likely to have a heart attack. Get good sleep, get enough sleep, but get efficient sleep, and that will make you healthier overall, especially your heart. Wow, love that. Sleep is so important to our immune system and heart health and our health in general. Yes, it is. Yeah, wow, this is awesome. Like, it's great and so great to know. Also, you work in this field where you work is such a great sleep center. And if there are any audience are from Dallas or plan to go there to have you to help them out, how can they find your practice? Well, they could easily find me by just Googling my name, Dr. Kent Smith. But my website is sleepdallas.com. They can find me there as well. So not hard to find me in the Dallas area. <laughs> Great. And I'm sure a lot of sleep physicians already know you. And if they go to see other sleep physicians, there's a chance they can be referred to your practice. Right. Uh-huh. Cool. I will put all your website, all your information, including that uh, uh, website you mentioned where we can find well-trained dentists across America right. in the show notes also. Perfect. Yeah, thank you very much for coming to the show today, Dr. Smith. Thank you. I love talking about this. <laughs> Great information. I'm sure a lot of people are going to benefit that. I definitely learned a lot today. Thank you. So, sleep apnea actually can hurt our physical health very much. I remember I used to know someone. She did not know she had sleep apnea until she was on the surgery table for a heart surgery. So please double-check the symptoms Dr. Smith mentioned for yourself and your family members. If you find any of the symptoms very significant, please consult with a sleep doctor and get the diagnose. Then decide what kind of treatment is the best for you. So all the show notes will be on our website at deepintosleep.co. It's so great to have you again today with me in Deep Into Sleep podcast. I'm your host, Ishan. I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. 
We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia.